all the way down, all the way up. We want to look this morning at how Christ's mission on earth involved him coming all way down, all way down. He became one of us. And it also involved him going all way back up to be the Lord of the whole cosmos. We have to have both sides of this before we have the real gospel. John chapter 1. In the beginning, this is the part of the all way down. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was God and the word became flesh. The word John uses there is a Greek word. It means this stuff, this stuff that you're, that we're made of. The word, the eternal word in heaven became this flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now we see next what, hap- what this looks like on earth with the actual birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 7. And she gave birth, Mary, of course, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. That was the coming down. We're going to return to that in a moment, but I want to peek forward briefly to the going back up. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, the next text slide, Yuri, Luke 24, verse 50. This is at the end of Luke's account of Christ's resurrection. Then Jesus, the risen Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He's going into high priestly mode. I hope we all recognize that. He lifts up his hands. He's a priest now. And as he ascends into heaven, as he goes back up, he goes into priestly blessing mode. That's the last earthly glimpse of his disciples have of him, blessing them. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And as he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven all way down, we see the manger, all way up until he vanishes into a cloud. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God, blessing God. About 30 years later, an apostle named Paul, who was not even converted when those events just took place, that I just read took place, Some 30 years later, an apostle named Paul was now preaching this same message. And here's something he said about it in Philippians. Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, the risen Christ, to the highest place. Please, if you just remember one phrase this morning, that would be a good choice. To the highest place place. He came all the way down. He went all the way up. God took him to the highest place and and gave him the name that is above every name. That refers to the name Lord. It's a name and yet it's also a title. 
God conferred that on Jesus. His name is the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He came all the way down. Where's Ziggy? Wonderful. My special assistant this morning. Something we need to realize when we ponder the the miracle of the gospel and the mystery of the gospel, despite our love for the Christmas events, our manger here, remembering the actual physical birth of Jesus to Mary on the earth, the gospel doesn't begin in the manger. It doesn't begin in Bethlehem. It doesn't even begin on earth. It begins in heaven. It begins in the third heaven, the highest heaven. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and now comes the clincher. The word was God. And and God made the whole universe through the word. In Philippians 2, Paul says, he was in the form of God, and all things were made through him. But then in the timing of God, something happened. Galatians, the book of Galatians says it was in the fullness of time. Then, says Paul, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born under the law and born of a woman. He came all way down. He was born. That's great, Zig. Thanks. The word was made flesh. Philippians 2, 6, he emptied himself, being found in human form. If ever someone was found in human form, it was when those shepherds came and the magi bowing in front of that manger, seeing this little child. He emptied himself. He came all way down. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Contrast this with what we see at Mount Sinai when the, the manifest presence of God comes down on that mountain and the mountain just about explodes. But now the same God has reappeared in humble human form because he has come. He's the same God, but he has come all the way down. When the angels tell the shepherds how to find the baby... Notice what they don't say. They don't say, when maybe the, the shepherds were even wondering, oh, this is wonderful. Okay, we know we're Bethlehem, but how will we know if we found the right baby? Maybe there's other babies. And they're expecting, I expect, the angels to say, it's the one, he, he'll be glowing. He'll look like he's radioactive. No, it's nothing like that. This baby was so outwardly ordinary... The angels had to say, oh, um, oh, he's the only one you'll find lying in a manger. Other babies have beds, but no, there was no bed for this one. He's in a manger. When you find the kid in the manger, you found the Lord. He came all 
weighed down, swaddling clothes. The book of Hebrews looks back on these momentous events and says this, Hebrews 2 verse 17, he had to be made like us in every way. For the mission for which God had sent him, there were requirements. (laughs) One of them was he had to be made like us in every way. Let's ponder this within the limits of our time this morning. This means that what happens when God shows up in the form of a child in the manger is not like former appearances of God in human form in the Bible. And if we remember, there are some. One day, Abraham and Sarah were sitting outside their tent, minding their own business, and they look down the road and they can see three men walking along. This is in Genesis 18. We won't study that now, but you can look at it later. Genesis 18, they see three men walking along. And something in their hearts says, this is meant to be, this visit. These, they're coming to visit us, and I feel like there's something important about to happen here. If you go through that chapter and read it carefully verse by verse, one of those three men just happens to be God. Go figure. Later, Abraham's, they have a meal with this man and his two friends. Maybe they were angelic guardians or something like that. Three people come for lunch. One of them is God. Now, that was Abraham. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was once on a journey, and he had a midnight wrestling match. Why did he have a midnight wrestling match? Because a man came and wrestled with him. The Hebrew text says a man. And then a couple verses later, Jacob says he realizes it's really God. Well, I thought it was a man. He was a man. He was God in the form of a man. So, if at least twice God has shown up in human form earlier in the Bible, why do Christians make such a thing about Christmas and the incarnation and someone in a manger? What's the big deal here? The reason it's a big deal is this. What happened here had, in fact, never happened before because the, God, the man that came for lunch in Genesis 18, the man that came and wrestled in Genesis 32, there was something missing in those stories, and that's that those God-men manifestations, they were never born. This time... God showed up and he says, I'm going all the way down. This is not just a temporary disguising my son in, in human form for a few hours and then vanishing up into heaven again. Uh-uh. This time he goes all the way down. He is conceived in a human mother's womb. It's, it's supernatural, no human father involved at that stage. But from that moment on, the gestation, is that how you say it? Gestation for nine months, Jesus is gestating in Mary's womb. Then at the end of the nine months, something that's fairly common with pregnant women, she starts to have contractions. I wonder what that's like for the baby. I can't remember. But the, when, the, when the baby's born, Jesus went through Mary going through contractions. He is actually born, probably screaming like any other healthy baby. Mary has to nurse him at her breast. How many times before this has God nursed at a mother's breast? He has come all the way down. Nothing like this has ever happened. He went through childhood. He went through adolescence. How many of you would want to go through adolescence again? 
I, could, I couldn't cope with it. All the tensions, your hormones are charging all over the place trying to figure out what to do with members of the opposite sex. Your parents can't make up their minds if you're a kid or an adult and they expect you to be a kid one day and an adult the next year. You're going crazy. That's called adolescence. I almost didn't survive it. I don't know about you. Jesus went through adolescence. He, went, he assumed the burdens of adulthood. At some point, it appears that his earthly father, Joseph, passed away. Guess who had to be the man of the house? He was the firstborn male, Jesus. He, he became like us in every way. Just take those words, Hebrews 2, verse 17. Made like us in every way. He came all way down. He didn't stop part way. That was the early heresy called Gnosticism. Read about it in a study Bible in the footnotes. They, they, the Gnostics said he came part way down and he looked human. But he wasn't really. The scripture says, oh, yes, he was really. He became one of us. He took our nature on himself. He was tempted. For Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in every way. No qualifications on that. In every way. All the kinds of temptations that have been experienced in this group this morning, without exception, Christ has experienced those. Hebrews 4.15. He shared in our limitations. Let me linger very briefly on this because it's a bit of a head stretcher. When he was at the top of the ladder, second person of the Trinity, which he never ceased to be, by the way, he was functionally omniscient, all-knowing. He, he knew every single star, every single atomic particle in the entire cosmos. He probably had names for it all. He knew the future. He knew the past. He was all-knowing. But Hebrews says he had to become like us in every way. That means God had to do something in Jesus, but just before he goes down to enter into Mary's womb, God reaches over and he says, hold on a minute, son. And he goes over and he goes, click. And he says, I'm turning, temporarily turning off your all-knowingness. So that means you're going to have to learn how to talk, learn how to walk, learn how to do things. Your parents are going to have to teach you. You're not going to walk around down there knowing how many stars there are. You got that? Okay. Made like us in every way. He shared our limitations. Here's a clear biblical evidence of that. When the woman who has the... Another way he became like us is he got thirsty. <laughs> Read the woman at the well. The woman who has the issue of blood, remember 12 long years, hemorrhage, she hears Jesus has come to her village. She has heard that he has power to heal. People are crowding all around him, and she thinks, all I need to do is push up through that crowd. I can't even see him. He's like a, a rock star. Everybody wants to touch him, be around him, selfies and all this. She thinks, all I need to do is push my hand through the press of the people and reach down and just touch the edge of his garment, and I'll be well. She had faith, and that's precisely what happened. But look at it as Mark does. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. The moment her hand hits the edge of his garment, Jesus knows, he says, that power had gone out of him. 
He hadn't turned around and said, oh, a sick woman, be healed. Nothing like that. It was her initiative. Her initiative. She touches the edge of his garment. Power goes out from him. And he says this. He stops in the crowd. He starts turning around. Who was that? Who was that? And the disciples say, Lord, there's about 40 people touching you. What do you mean, who, who touched you? No, he says, somebody touched me in faith. He knew that. He didn't know who it was. Do you see what I'm deducing from this? He worked with limited knowledge. You want to use it on the earth. Why? The book of Hebrews said the requirements for his mission were that he had to be made like us in every way. We're not omniscient. So he had to temporarily join our non-omniscient team. He joined us in facing things like disappointment. I saw something recently about the Gethsemane experience. You know, when he's weeping in in anguish and wrestling this thing to the ground. Am I going to really submit to my father's plan or, or what? I don't, please take this cup from me, he says to the father. But along with that crying out to God, he says something to the disciples. He says, look, this is the worst night of my life. Could you guys just come and pray with me for an hour or so, please? He's asking for human, horizontal, human level companionship and support. So would all of you, because he's just like us in every way. We need companionship. So they go into the garden and he gets down and he's praying and praying. And we're told in Luke that there was the blood was coming through the pores of his skin. So great was his stress. He prays like this for a while. He gets up and he thinks, I wonder how the disciples are doing and praying with me and supporting me. He turns around and goes around a couple of trees. There they are. What are they doing? Sound asleep. Isn't that nice? He says this, Matthew 26, verse 40. Matthew 26, 40. Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? You want a one-word summary of that statement? Disappointment. We know what that's like to be let down when you were feeling some, you could count on somebody and you needed their support and they jammed out. That's what Christ is experiencing. He experienced grief. Everything we go through, he goes through. You all know this, I suspect. The shortest version, verse in the Bible, John chapter 35, uh, chapter 11, verse 35, it's at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus who has died. Jesus weeps. He's experiencing grief. He made it. He came all the way down. Take those words home this week. He came all the way down. And he went lower than grief. He went to death. A dreadful, gruesome, sadistic death. And he went lower than that because they had to bury his corpse. They had to bury his corpse, his cadaver. They wrap it up. They try to deny death as every culture does. They put myrrh and so forth into, into the wrappings to take away the, the fragrance of decay. They put him in a tomb wondering, is this the end? Is this the end? Well, you know what? It wasn't the end. But he had come all the way down. He's now in a tomb. However, Ziggy, where's Ziggy? I need your assistance in a moment. He rises from the grave. The dreadful moments we've been pondering are sobering and heart-wrenching and all of that, but they are not the end. 
On the morning of the third day, the women go to the tomb. They take the myrrh and all that to anoint the bandages, to disguise the, the fragrance of decay. And <laughs> something has happened. The body is gone. And then they meet the risen Jesus. They don't initially even recognize him. They're so blown away. Their emotions have been getting jerked this way, that way, and the other. There's some 40 days, according to Luke, of these resurrection appearances. He'll appear, then seem to disappear, and then reappear. And he's very obviously physical. He says to Thomas, look, you don't think it's really me? Here, look, that's where the nail was, right there in the wrist. Same on this side, same on both feet. Come, touch it. He's clearly the the real physical risen Savior. On several occasions, he has meals with people, and he he eats with them in front of them, and they're thinking, well, this can't be a ghost, because ghosts can't eat physical food. He's convincing them he has defeated death. He has risen again. Now, at the end of the 40 days of resurrection appearances, something else happens. Luke 24, verse 51. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. He was carried up to heaven. No thorny crowns this time. He was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple Blessing God. He had come all the way down. Now he goes all the way up. And he sat down. Why is he sitting? Because he's king. He sat down at the right hand of God. Goodly number of years ago, Velma and I were in India, and we've been asked to talk to a little group of people, very uneducated, un, simple, uneducated people in a little rural village. And the pastor said, Could you teach them about Jesus being Lord of all things? So, what we did is we had a little imagination exercise about what it was like in heaven when the angels could look over the, the edge of heaven, as it were, down onto the earth and, and see him coming. And they're all thinking, what should we do? What should we do? We have to welcome him. And you know, so they, have, they, they start of a committee, a committee for recommendations, what to do. <laughs> Hire an orchestra. Have a big brass band to welcome him. Build a big house. Build a big tent. And the father, who's already on the throne, keeps saying, ah, well, that's okay, but it's not good enough. It's okay, but it's not good enough. He keeps kind of gently, graciously vetoing their ideas. He finally says, look, look, here's what we're going to do. When he comes in the gates, I can see the gates opening now. When he comes in the gates, what he's going to do is this. He's going to come and sit next to me at the right hand of God. In the biblical view of the world, there is no place of greater honor than that. And that's where Christ sat at the right hand of God. I'm representing Christ, so the Father's really here. And Christ is at his right hand. He ascended into heaven. Now look, let's take a moment. We're coming into a conclusion here. How does the New Testament engage with this glorious truth? 
Acts 2, verse 33. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, making him king, and having received from the Father the the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are now seeing and hearing. From this position, here's what he does. He receives from the Father the, palm, the, the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the first thing he does, you know, once he gets to heaven. You hear, you hear politicians say, if I get elected, that my first order of business is to do X, Y, Z. They think of something. Well, here's a new king, and he's a different kind, different kind of king. His first order of business, he has just sat down in his executive chair. His first order of business, Father, I think I need you to give me some Holy Spirit this morning. The Father says, you got it. He passes it to Jesus. What does Jesus do with this new power? Does he hoard it for himself? He does not hoard it for himself. He takes that wonderful, omnipotent fire of the Holy Spirit and he sends it down to you, Lot. That's his first order of business. Now, I'm going to have to complete this message, which is almost finished, on the floor because I'm getting dizzy up here. (laughs) Despite Ziggy's capable assistance. God bless you, brother. Thank you very much. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Keep thinking this today. He came all the way down and he went all the way up. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Two very, very brief concluding points. Inspector Peter. Where we see Jesus at the end of this amazing journey is in a position of power. Here's why I call it that. We all know God has power, of course. It's a position of power in a unique sense because as we just showed you in the comment we just made, it's a position of power that empowers him to empower us. A position of power, right hand of God, that positions him, Jesus, to empower his church because he can minister to all of us the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Christmas, in case you hadn't noticed, can be a stressful time. (laughs) What's our answer? We come to God and say, Father, would you fill me? Jesus, would you fill me again this morning with the love and the mercy and the enabling and the patience and all of that that come from the Holy Spirit, and you are in a position to do that because you're seated at the right hand of the Father. I receive it this morning by faith. It's a position of power. Lastly, there's a thousand things we could say, but we'll just touch on one more. Alongside being a position of power, it's a position of honor. The New Testament events begin with worship. They begin with people just called magi. We don't know much about the magi, except that they came from the east, and they come bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. Why did they do that? They brought these as gifts to honor him. It was honor. The Bible says, Paul says, that because Christ is where he is, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Just think about that. Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to to confess. 
Adolf Hitler is going to bow in front of a Jew and say, you are Lord. Kim Jong-un, who persecutes the church in North Korea, he is going to bow. He is going to get down on his knees, and he's going to bow. But I don't want to make it like a aha, gotcha kind of a thing in conclusion. I want us to look at what a wonderful moment it's going to be when every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing. And here's where we see this in Scripture. The New Testament begins with a small group of people. We usually say that there are three, but the Bible never says how many. The Magi, they came from what was probably Persia, and they bring their wonderful gifts. They are bowing down and honoring Christ's authority. That's how it begins. Did you know the New Testament concludes the ex- exactly the same way? Have a look at Revelation 21. This time, it's not a manger in a stable. This time, it's a city that has descended from the sky. And there are gates facing the north, the south, that's south, okay, the, the north, the south, the east, and the west. And in that closing tra- chapter of the biblical drama, the kings of the nations of all the earth are coming and bringing their treasures, bringing their treasures, bringing their glory, not to a manger, but into a city. They're bringing their glory into the holy city to bring glory and honor to God and to the Lamb. Every, and one thing all those kings are going to do Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess because Christ came all the way down and he went all the way up. 